All right, let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to just read the same verse that we, we read earlier. And um, we'll begin. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll read it from verse 1. I'm actually using the NASB. If a different version appears uh, on the screen, it's fine because it's always nice to be able to see alternate uh, translations. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust those to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, or faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. This uh, grace of God that we spoke about last week is not just gracefulness. The word grace or charis, from which we get the word charisma, has to do with the supernatural life of God, the Zoe life of God, the divine life of God, the miraculous life, the life that is in His character, in His being, yeah? in His presence, in His godness. And so when we're talking about the grace of God, we're not talking about graceful effects. We're talking about God Himself. Yeah? We're talking about God Himself and just the way in which He connects with humans in a way that is quite divine and quite miraculous. And so what Paul was saying to Timothy as he looked at the impending darkness that was coming upon the, uh, upon the early church and upon the Roman, Roman Empire, and he saw the darkness that was coming, he speaks to Timothy, who is not the most bold of all his disciples, but who was now the bishop of, Rome, of, of, of Ephesus right now. Be strong in that, what? In the power, the godness, the greatness, the strength, the life of God. Be strong in that. You may be weak in many, many ways, but you need to be strong in God or gain God's strength. Yeah, and, and another translation, I think the ESV says, be strong in the grace that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, that comes to be strengthened in, in the, by the grace that comes from, from Jesus Christ. Not with the strength of this world, but the strength of God. Yeah? And so let's, uh, let's have a look at this. We, we talked about that last week. And last week we spoke about the fact that we can sometimes think about grace in a certain way. And um, what struck me was the, that passage of Scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, if you can turn, turn with me to it. Paul talks about this grace. And he uses the word grace in this interesting context. He's talking about the time when he was experiencing tremendous visions and profound um, um, revelations from God. And almost to keep him grounded, there seemed to be an, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that thorn in the flesh was specifically, but it was something that was a messenger from the devil. It was an attack of the enemy. It could have been the unbelieving Jews that were following him from pillar to post. It could have been um, a, a physical sickness. It could be something that he had that was afflicting him tremendously. Yeah? And, um, and he asked that, verse, verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, my grace, and here's the word grace again, that same word that Paul was writing to Timothy, that supernatural God power, God life. For, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. 
Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Now, what Paul is saying is this, there is something much bigger that is at stake that is much more important, more, much, much better. I was going to say much more better, but better than even the answer to prayer. He's saying, I'm going to glory so that the power of God may rest upon me or dwell in me. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me, or in another translation, rest upon me or press into me. So what Paul is saying is quite extraordinary. He's not saying, he's saying that there's something more important than the answer to my prayer or the taking away of that pain. He says, there's something that God has for me that's far greater, and that is that the power of Christ may rest upon me or dwell in me. So we're not talking about just answers to prayer. Answers to prayer are great. God answers prayer all the time. He always answers prayer. There's no prayer that He doesn't answer. You may not hear His answer, but He answers. He answers in kind. But there is something Paul saying is that, saying that needs to change our whole perspective of life, of prayer, of where we're going, where we're coming from, and what our destiny is. And that has to do with the power of Christ that will fall rest upon us. Now, we all need the power of God. We need the power of God. We need the, the, the godness of God, the grace of God. What Paul is saying is that the grace of God is that power of God that will rest upon us. So what God has, is, 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 is about is not just that we get what we want. What God has is an agenda for us that is greater, more important, more precious, and more needful than the answer to our own prescription for ourselves. True? So I want to put it to you that actually today as we look at that, it may be that we have been looking at our religion completely wrongly. Because we tend to think about religion in, in terms of God answering our prayers. Right? He's present to our prayers and He does answer our prayers. But he answers our prayers according to his grace and his power, his destiny for us. So that whenever you pray a prayer to God, he will give you more than you ask for. He will give you what he has for you. And he will always answer that prayer. So what Paul is saying is this, in my weakness, when I run out of my own human strength, that is the place, the venue where God's power will rest upon me. It will become perfect, made perfect in me. And what Paul is saying is this, Timothy, be strong in that. Because as the darkness comes, you can pray your little prayers but really, what you need is something that is stronger than the darkness that's about to come. You need something from eternity. You need the grace that comes from eternity, not from your present situation, not based upon the situational aspects of our life or circumstances. You need something that comes from a God who knows what's going to be happening in the future. The grace of eternity that comes from eternity it comes from the future, 
is what God is going to give to you, so much so that what you will get will not only serve your present situation, but what your future is going to be. What say you? But Paul is really concerned for the future, right? Just as we are concerned for our children, what our children are facing in school, the things that the, 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 the nation, or the Western world is facing and about to come into, the chaos that is about to come upon the world. God knows about that. God knows about that. And He has grace that is actually sufficient. Wow, isn't that amazing? You and I don't need to be afraid of the future for your children. Because God has grace that is sufficient, that is made perfect, even when you feel weak. One of the things that was always a concern for me with my children, when we were about to have children and our children were very young, is when we talk, talk, thought about um, the kind of world that we are bringing our children into, we were very concerned. And the Lord spoke to me. And again and again during my devotions, I find the Lord would give me different words. And words like, He will save them from this generation. He will speak about their future. And much of it has come to pass. That we, will, we, we have given birth to our children. I mean, Cindy gave birth, not me. <laughs> she did the hard work. We've given to a birth to children who are living in probably a worse time than we ever grew up in. What are we bringing our children into? I think about that and it just drives me nuts, especially when they were very young. But I've seen the hand of the Lord upon our children, the strength of the Lord upon our children, the blessing of the Lord upon our children. And during that time, I think it was around 2007, the Lord spoke to me. He said, your children will be a, an example of what I will do in VCF's children. I will give them a piece of everything that I, I intend for for VCF's children. But you have to experience it first. And I began to realize that I have to rely on the fact that God, who knows what is to come in all its, um, in, in all its ingloriousness, knows how to prepare them and us for the things to come. Right? And so when Paul is speaking to Timothy, he's saying, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He is talking about the grace that comes from the future and walks back into our present. We don't live our life from the present to the future. When God comes on the inside of us, the future of God's destiny comes upon inside and walks back into our present. Isn't it? So that the, the model for the church is not the early church. No, it's the late church. Because the church is going to be glorious, amen? Not everybody, but the church, which doesn't necessarily look like the structures that we see now, but it's the kingdom of God, the organic life of God together. The disciples of Christ, right? So what, we, what God is doing is that He's actually going to cause us to live our lives from the future back to the present. Ooh. It has been working in our past, actually. What you've been experiencing of God, of God in the past is a preparation for what's going to happen today 
And so if you look back, you will see elements of God's preparation of your life, your family's life, that will happen in the future. So when Paul is speaking about this, he's saying there is something much more at stake than this thorn in my flesh. That what's at stake is that the power of God may rest upon me so that in my weakness, that power will be made perfect. As Christians, we live from the last century, the, the century that Jesus will, 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 in which Jesus will come, not from the first century. Because Jesus... Grace comes from eternity. All right. That's uh, introduction. And so therefore, we I'd like us to get a grasp of what we, what's at stake here, right? What's at stake here is that God wants to give us His power, His, His Godness Himself. Make us like Jesus, not make us powerful people, but make us like Jesus, Right? Very interesting, isn't it? Let's, let's have a look at this. This is how God works. Let's uh, turn with me to uh, Psalm 105. If you and I think about church or our personal lives in terms of God giving us destiny, yeah, giving us destiny, that means preparing us with a future in mind so that we, when we talk about our destiny, I'm not just talking about our gifts and our own nice stuff that's going to happen or the, bad, the exact fit. We're talking about what the Lord has for us, His purposes for us. Amen? So if you're my age, 66, I have a destiny. I'm not fading away. My life isn't just for retirement from now on. My life is just beginning. So is yours. So is yours. You're not, going, you're not winding down. You're winding up. This is how God works. Um, turn with me to Psalm 105, please. Okay. Verse 15. I thought, verse 16. Uh, he called for a famine, God called for a famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord refined him or tested him or proved him. Okay, the word of the Lord proved him. The word of the Lord proved him. It doesn't mean that he uh, um, uh, was trying to see how J uh, Joseph is going to respond. The word proved or, or refined or tested means to draw out the precious, yeah, like a fire. The fire is not meant to destroy the, the, the lump, but to actually draw the gold out of it. Yeah? The word of the Lord tested him, proved him. The, Lord, the king sent and released him the ruler of peoples, and set him free, set Joseph free. He made him lord of his house and ruler over all his possessions to imprison his princes at will that he might teach his elders wisdom. It says here that Joseph was a man sent before them. 
See, you see the same thing that happens. Joseph, Joseph is a man of destiny. He was a man of dreams before, then he became a man of destiny. Dreams have our own kind of tastes and our own likes and our own wants. And God's desire for us, all mixed in. So when Joseph had this dream about himself, his dream was that he would be the chieftain of his tribe. That was it. Right? What was his dream? His dream was that his family and all his brothers, brothers and all that would bow down to him in the Jacob tribe, right? That was his dream. And insofar as that is true, that dream had destiny in it. But may I suggest to you that God had a destiny that's bigger than his dream? True? What God had was that J Joseph will save the world. No less than that. Joseph wanted to be the chieftain of his own tribe. He thought that that's what God had for him. But what God had for him was that he would be taken to Egypt. And from Egypt, he will have supernatural dreams that will give Egypt the keys to saving the world because Egypt was the breadbasket of the world. It served the, 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 the needs of not only Egypt, uh, Asia Minor, uh, Syria and all, but also Greece. So if the famine that was going to take place was not dealt with by a God who knows the future and a man who knew the heart of God and had the destiny of God in him, the whole known world at that time, unknown, whatever, 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 what do you call that, would have been destroyed. Because the staff of bread had been broken already. You know what I mean? So what, jo what God had for Joseph was more than the answer to his little prayers. More than his little dreams. His had, what God had for Joseph was that he would prepare him by the grace of God that was coming from the future to him. That's why he says he was a man sent ahead. Now, may I suggest to you that you are, and I are men and women sent ahead. And why God does not sometimes answer our prayers is because of that. Because there's a bigger thing that's at stake than our little prayers. Make no mistake, I, I don't want to minimize our prayers. Our prayers are big. But compared with what God has for us, a bit little. Yeah? So what God is doing is this. He's giving us grace. You want to go for the grace of God, not just answers to petty prayers. The, because the grace of God doesn't come from the presentness of your circumstances or my circumstances or my situation, but it comes from the future. So what God is saying is that He's sending grace into my affliction, my difficult situation, because He's preparing me. He's preparing a man, a woman, a boy, a girl for the future. Our prayers are conduced to our flesh. Doesn't it? We pray things for our flesh. It's okay, you can ask. It doesn't hurt to ask, right? Ask for it. Go, go ahead, ask, ask away. Knock yourself out with your asking. But what God wants is something that may include that, but is more than that. So he says, God sent a man ahead of him. Now, Joseph at that time did not think that he was a man sent ahead of him. He thought that God had given him wonderful dreams and that his destiny was one of being bowed down to by his family. 
Whoop-dee-doo. But what God had was something much bigger. And one of the first things that happened that need the grace of God is that He cuts off our dreams. His dream was to be in a situation where he had the family's support that got taken away from him when his brothers sold him. They killed a, uh, an animal and poured the blood over his, his robe of many colors. Yeah, his special robe. Symbolically killing his dream. It's killing his specialness. Now, you have sometimes problems in the church when we are so intent on making everybody feel special based upon nothing that when they face that killing of that self-image and all that, we can't handle it. And so what, they, what, that, what God did was that He allowed Joseph to be taken as a slave and first thing that happened in, in, uh, in Joseph's life was that he... Uh, he lost his family. He lost his family. He lost his support. He lost his people. He would from then on be among a people of a strange tongue. Yeah? You see this in uh, Psalm 81. It's the strange tongue that I had not heard, the, the psalmist says. He will be among a people of Egypt. And Egypt was actually a, a cosmopolitan area as well. And he would no longer be with his own people. He could not identify himself as Jew. Actually, the Hebrews, the Apiru, sometimes um, some call that in those days, were considered unclean. They were considered unclean. So he lost that. And so what happens is this, in, in, in this journey that he has, he not only lost that, he worked for Pharaoh, uh, sorry, he worked for a captain and experienced the grace of God that made him a successful man. Yeah, Genesis tells us, made him a successful man. And in the context of being a slave of the captain of uh, Pharaoh's army, he did really well. It says God was with him. God gave him his support, his fellowship, not the support from his family, not from the, not the support from people, but from God himself. He experienced the grace of God in his weakness. And then he experienced false accusation, right? Because the king's wife, Potiphar's wife, accused him of wanting to get fresh with her, right? Had evidence and all that, and and and. And, and vilified him. And God allowed that to happen. If I were Joseph, I would say, God, help me, help me, help me, you. I call upon the name of the Lord. You said you are to be saved. Call me, not help me, now, now. And God helped him, but not in, that, not in that way. He was vilified. He was separated out. And may I suggest to you that God knew all that he needed for the future and train him in knowing how to take vilification, in being vilified, in being accused wrongly, not being bitter. He trained him, gave him the grace of God, gave him his grace 
My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so he, he, God begins to do that work. What was at stake was even more important than Joseph being defended from the accusation. What was at stake is, was something bigger. Joseph was going to save the world. To save the world, he, need to have the he needed to have the ingredients to save the world. And that is to take the vilification, take precious things being snatched away from him, take the ups and downs of life in such a way that you're encouraged and you're encouraged and you're encouraged and then somebody just pulls that away from you and vilifies you. Isn't that amazing? And the third, third thing that he, he, he experienced was imprisonment, restriction. It says... In Psalm 105, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He was sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that the word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And so what happens is that he experienced restriction, right? His separation, being torn away from his own people, being unpeopled, being of the wrong race, the unclean race being uh, no longer having his dreams killed, his beautiful uh, designer jacket completely destroyed, everything taken away from him, vilified, taking, made to go through the ups and downs of encouragement and, and being just dropped down, just like that, being put in prison, being restricted, being, having his movements um, curtailed for a while. May I suggest to you that we go through these things too. And what God has at stake is your destiny. It'll kill your dreams. Parts of it. Those parts of your dreams that are conduced to your own personal taste. It'll kill your dreams, but He will give you destiny. May I suggest to you that when, when, when Joseph's dreams were killed by his brothers, yeah, killed by his brothers, destiny began to emerge. Destiny began to take him to Egypt. Destiny began to take him to prison. And he didn't like it. <laughs> he did not like it. But he was being prepared. He was being sent ahead. You and I are being sent ahead. Amen? And your circumstances may not look that great, but you and I are being sent ahead for a very special task that he has, God has for you. Yeah? So he, you can tell yourself today, I'm a man or a woman or a boy or a girl sent ahead. I'm sent ahead. You know where I'm sent? I'm sent by future. Amen. I'm, we are sent by eternity. You're not sent by the contemporary situation. In fact, I would put it to you that the worst enemy of destiny is being contemporary. Because contemporary is not only temporary, it's a... No, I'm not going to... I'm going to fall for that lame joke. Being contemporary has to do with looking at yourself, your situation, from the point of view of everybody around you who thinks this should be the best thing. And that will kill you. It'll kill your destiny because it will, it will take you off track. It will, it will root you into the present. 
but not a real presence where the presence, you're practicing the presence of God. It will root you in everybody's bondage. Everybody's whatever. Whatever their fleshly things are. That world will tell you contemporarily that you should be this way and that way and that your life should look this way and you should have a balance of this and that and all that. That may be true, but when you hear it contemporarily and not from eternity, you will be bound by that and you will have no destiny. You will have contemporaneity but not destiny. And that is why grace is very important because if you can let go of prayers that try to control your situation and control what God would do, you will be set free, as we, as we learned in the worship today. You will be set free from that contemporary bondage that people say, you must be, have, have this or else your life looks terrible. So God is actually doing something very, very unique among a people and not everybody can take it. Not everybody can take it because God is coming and walking back from the future. That's why we have the presence of the future when we worship God. God begins to tell us prophecies, gives us word of knowledge, gives us words. He's, they're not just for now, they are for the future. And they're going to prepare us. And sometimes the affliction that we go through is a stripping, a pruning, a cutting, and all that. So that we will not be like Joseph as he was before. Destiny is amazing. Dreams are good. Destiny is amazing though. Destiny comes from somewhere else. It comes from the future. You have elements of destiny in your life now. He's put desires in your heart. He puts his word in your heart. But the destiny will always test your dream. It will test your desires. It will test your, what you're conduced to. What contemporariness in us is, is that it causes us to want convenience, and destiny may upend that convenience, and the flesh. But God is preparing us so that we will not be locked into the present. Yeah? Praise God. The world's menu and curriculum for a life of destiny is woefully inadequate. You cannot find from a TED talk only what's good for the future or your destiny. It may tell you accurate things about the present, but what God has for us is what he had for Joseph. So if you look at that, that little passage we read in Psalm 105, he called for a fa famine upon the land. He broke the whole staff of bread. He sent a man before them. That was what he was doing. Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons. Until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. What does it mean? You're going through difficult situations. You're going through difficult situations that, that, that challenge your destiny or whatever hope that you have. And the word of the Lord comes to you and you seek the Lord and it comes and it holds itself up against these challenges. It comes and it buttresses you against these challenges and it says, but the word of the Lord is true. 
but the word of the Lord is true. And it draws out the goal. That's why devotions are very important, hearing from God, right? It's, it draws out the goal. If you don't have the word of the Lord, it will not test you, it will not draw out the goal. You will be overwhelmed by those other things. Yeah? And sometimes God will have you and I stand alone and question everything. Sometimes we will go through that because the kind of person of destiny will need to be stronger than what the contemporary world is feeding us. We need better, better than that. And sometimes what God will say is, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength will be made in this weakness. Please, take, Lord, take away that weakness. No, my strength will be sufficient. My grace will be sufficient. Amen? All right, let's, let's keep move, moving. Many of you know that the year was 451, 452. Attila the Hun had defeated and um, taken most of Italy. Attila the Hun was a particularly cruel leader, a brilliant leader, uh, very impulsive as well. Could not be predicted. People were afraid of him because of his unpredictability. But he had come, 251, he was already at the gates of Rome. And he demanded that the emperor give him his daughter in marriage. And then he was going to sack the Rome, completely burn Rome down. And the leaders of Rome, pagan leaders of Rome, could, had no answer. But there was a man that had been prepared by God through all this time. He was an aristocrat, but he had to face many, many challenges in his growing up time. And he, in 440 AD, became the Pope, the Bishop of Rome. At that time, he was not called the Pope. He was just the Bishop of Rome. His name now was Leo I. Leo I, day, his day of destiny came. In 452, he went to the gates, and Attila the Hun was there. And he came with some people some of the leaders, including one historian, one Prosper of Aquitaine. And he met Attila at the gate. We don't know what he said to Attila. But in the end, Prosper, who was a historian, said Attila was so impressed by him that he turned back and spared Rome. Spared Rome for at least a few years. A few, a few years. He had come into his bishop, b- bishop, I was going to say bishop prick, but it's his bishop's whatever responsibility and had to take, a, take care of a lot of chaos, a lot of mismanagement, a lot of heresy, a lot of corruption in the church. Took care of it. A lot of heresy as well. And when he came to this moment, something made him prepared with the guts and the wisdom to turn Attila the Hun no less around. 
I believe that God has a preparation for all of us. Prosper of Akutan said that Attila was so impressed by him that he did everything that um, Leo I asked for. This um, passage that we were reading about in Psalm 105 about Joseph, theologians call, biblical theologians like to use fancy sounding words, and they call it the Joseph cycle. They call it the Joseph cycle. They have an Elijah cycle, Elisha cycle. They talk about these narratives, and they talk of these narratives in terms of cycles. What they mean is a narrative about the, their life where it started, where it ended. And they talk about how the Bible describes this one. It struck me that we all don't know how long a Joseph cycle is. How long does it take to be prepared for that fateful hour? We don't know how long Joseph's cycle was. But we know that by the age of 30, only 30, he was... Pharaoh's right-hand man. Actually, his advisor. Actually, a father to, 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 to Pharaoh, if you go by some of the archaeological um, um, inscriptions. But what God is doing among us is amazing. He, if we don't understand that, that would be, we, would, uh, we would be confused about what's going on. So the question is this, how do we receive the grace of God, right? How do we jump onto the grace of God? How does the grace of God become real for us? It takes trust. It takes trust. Trust is not easy. I was talking to my eldest daughter, Kaylin, a few days ago. We were talking about how trust can be angsty. You know, I mean, it gives you angst. Ang- uh, anxiety. Anx- It's anxiety-ridden. But there is, even in trust, a development of trust that that happens with us. And as I was talking to her, this image and impression came to my mind. So I'd like you to imagine with me, if 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 you don't mind. You're on the high seas. Okay, maybe not the high seas. Rather high seas. And you got thrown off the boat or the boat capsized, it's destroyed. And so you are drowning. And then some, by some implausible set of circumstances, you catch hold of a rock in the middle of the sea. Okay, it's just, just a thought experiment, okay? So don't be hard on me. You catch hold of a rock in the sea, and for, for in the midst of these choppy seas, the rock is what you are going to hold on to. Okay? You feel relieved. Ah, I'm not going to drown. Yes? Okay? This is what we hold on to. It's firm, it's strong. The problem is it doesn't have any destiny in it. It doesn't take you anywhere. You will be safe as long as you can hold on to the rock. How long are you going to hold on to the rock? I don't know. 
But let's say the rob is going to be there for 500 years. You can hold on for 500 years. For 500 years, you'll have a rock. The problem is that you won't go anywhere. Yes? And as you're holding on to the rock, the sea is just dynamic around you. And then you see in the distance, coming before you, a rubber dinghy. Skipping the waves and coming close to you, but coming about as close as it can. And it is among another flotilla of other dinghies, and it's going somewhere. And the man in the dinghy says, Jump on! We have a mission. We've got to rescue some soldiers from the seashore. Okay? But we're going to the seashore. And you look at the dinghy, it doesn't look that stable. But it can float. It can flow with the, with the sea, right? But you can't swim. And it's a bit of a distance. Like from here to the door, let's, let's imagine. The dinghy is there, right there at the door. And the person in the boat, there's only one person in the boat. And he says to you, Jump! I can't. It's not safe. Because I, I'm safer with this rock. So I'm just going to hold on to the rock. Can you wait for me? How long? 500 years? And he says, no, we have to go. But you can come with us and we need some help. You can participate with us in what we're doing. And you hold on and you just have difficulty crossing over to that other place. Right? It's very hard. That is something like the grace of God. The grace of God involves a certain transaction that we have with God in which we enter into the uncertainty of what he will do or what will happen or what will not happen. And you are finding that you are, it's safer to depend upon your own resources, your own friends, your own family, your own um, um, structures of, of, of safety and all that. It's safer to do that, but it's not going to get you anywhere. There's no future in clinging onto the rock. You have to somehow find yourself on the other side. And there's a certain amount of distance in which you're just going to have to trust that it's going to be okay. That the people on the boat will somehow find you and will somehow rescue you. It's a bit like Peter, right? When he was called to walk in the grace of God, which is to walk on the water, and he could for a while, but when he looked at the storms and he saw the seas were, were, were raging around him, his focus moved away from Jesus to the storms, right? To all that. And he started calculating the surface area of his foot on the, and the surface tension power of the water to be able to hold him up and trans nope, according to my calculations, it can't work. And he actually, but he actually managed to get there. And then he began to sink. For some of us, you're not thinking of launching out to the deep. You're just thinking about drowning. And perhaps some of us feel like we're drowning right now. And in that drowning, what God is saying is here, 
as you shout out many prayers to Him, God says, my grace will be sufficient for you. I won't necessarily do the normal thing, but I will get you to the boat. So you go to the, you, you, you struggle, and you just, however way you're doing it, you somehow, with a little bit of help, the stretching out of the man from the boat, you somehow make it, and you're there. Okay? And he's holding on to you. He's holding on to you, and you are holding on to him. You're still in the water, but you're not sinking. And because you're not sinking, you are quite safe, but you are very angsty. You're feeling very, very anxious about what's, what's happening over, over there. And in that, you are trusting the man in the boat. And the man in the boat can be trusted. But you're not really functioning the way you were meant to function. You were meant to be in the boat and going and participating and doing the things that will rescue other people. Insofar as you're holding on to someone's hand in the boat, you will feel dragged along. You will not really have trust. You will have a certain kind of dynamic which is more or less similar to the kind of dynamic when you are holding on to the rock. It's just you're holding on to someone else now. And the thing that you have to do is to somehow get into the boat. You've got to get into the boat, even though the boat is going up and down and doesn't feel that comfortable. Because when you get into the boat, you will know how to flow with the sea. And so may I suggest to you that actually what God has for us is a certain amount of trust that you and I have to exercise in the situation that you and I are feeling in our weakness. It's calling out to Him. It may sound ugly. It may sound horrible. But you're just relaxing as best as you can. Just as I think God was trying to tell Paul, relax. My strength is made perfect in weakness. After I don't answer the thing that you asked for, relax. Because grace is coming. And you will find that grace is better. Now, this is the choice and the surrender that we were worshipping God about this morning. That is what God is saying. I want you to trust, but the only way you can trust is to trust me to do whatever I think is the best for you. You cannot trust me and then direct me. You cannot do that. Right? You have to let me drive the, drive the car. You cannot be a backseat driver in this. Because we may arrive there, but with all your backseat driving, you will not learn trust. You will get there, but you will not know how to trust. And in the days ahead, you will need to know how to trust because there will be more things to be concerned about than you can even uh, handle. And so the element of trust was going to be very important for, for, for Timothy. And there's this place in which the, the non-swimmer on the rock had to somehow trust that even in the weakness of not being able to swim, the guy on the boat is going to get him. That somehow God is going to get, get him may I say. And that's what we are all facing now. 
when everything looks bad around us, you have to face the fact that there is a gap, but there is a boat on the other side. And there's somebody waiting for you. And he has it all planned out. He has it all for you. All the finances, all the support, all the whole different mode of being is there for you. And it may not work out exactly as you prayed or you expected. It will, may not work out, especially in the contemporary situation, but destiny is there. You're destined for the boat. You're not only destined for the boat, you're meant to be carrying that boat, or rather driving the boat and rescuing others, putting them on the, on the boat. Yeah? That's what God has for us. That is what God has for us. And the boat may not look like a cruise ship. It may look like a rubber dinghy, all patched up and all that, very old and all that. It may not look that good, but He has it for you, and He will do wonders. Amen? There was a way in which I found that when I went into full-time ministry, one of the things that God was training me was to actually be able to function and trust Him enough when I'm emotionally depleted. Or I, I face very, very anxious situations, and I had to somehow minister as if nothing happened. And I found that in, during those times, I will always come back to the Lord and say, how can I preach? How can I be teaching? When this has happened and this, this has taken place and all that, I've... I've so many times, thousands of times come to the Lord. How can I be expected to preach when I can't even overcome my own overwhelming sense of hurt or depression? How can I do that? How is it even possible? And I would pray and my, my paradigm was this, Lord, if you take it away from me, I'll be fine. I'll do it. He did not. My grace is sufficient for you. So I learned I had to hold on to him, call upon him, and call upon him until the grace flows. And if I'm sensitive to him, I begin to feel a little bit of cool relief, a little breeze, a little something that lifts me up. And I've, when, I, when I catch it, it's just like that hand that's holding out to me. I just grab the hand. I don't grab anything else. I just grab the hand. I don't grab the seaweed. I grab the hand. Right? I don't grab the rock again. I grab the hand. Because the hand is going to save me and I focus on the hand. And so what happens is that when God is preparing us for the days ahead, he will, he will come when we are calling out to Him. When we call out to Him with all our hearts, call out to Him, whether loudly or softly or silently, we call out to Him. And then if you listen a little bit, you will feel a little bit of a sliver of relief at some time. It's going to be okay. A little word out of Scripture will come. Grab hold of it. Just like the woman with an issue of blood, grab hold of that hem of Jesus' garment. Grab hold of it. Because everything depends on your hold on that thing. When you do miracles and let God begin to use you in supernatural ways, it all depends on the, how, the way your hand holds the hem. It's all about how your hand holds the hem. Everything else doesn't matter anymore. There's only two things, two elements in the whole wide world that exist. Your hand and the hem. Yeah? Amen? You cannot think about the other parts of the, 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 the gown, the other people around. You will have at that moment of supernatural flow, so of supernatural grace, there will be only two things and you'll be so focused on those two things that your mind will be changed. I used to be, a, my mom used to call me scatterbrain because I just 
couldn't focus. But when you're desperate, you focus and there's only one thing, there's God and you, and you're only focused on Him. And by doing that, God trains your mind, trains your spirit, so much so that your spirit and your mind are one with Him. Psalm 86 says, For you are God and you do wondrous things. Teach me your way. I will walk in your truth. Give me a single mind. Yeah, Give me a single mind to behold your name. And so that's, that's only two things there. Your hand and God. You hold on to Him and when you hold on to Him, God actually pulls you. And every time you come to a crisis, you know where to go. You don't look to the shoulder, you don't look to another person, you don't look to your friends, you don't have family, you don't look to anything. You look for the blue, the hem in his garment. There was a blue strip in the hem of, hem of Jesus' garment. We call it the wings. And you and I are going to be good at that. Every time you face the crisis, you go there. You don't go here and there and all the other places. You go there. Until you know that blue so well that more miracles come out of that. More challenges come out of that. More words come out of that. So I've, I've got to tell you, God has helped me. Being the scatterbrain that I am, I've got attention deficit disorder. What do you call that? ADD or ADHD, whatever is HDHD or whatever, HGV, HTV or I got, I got helped by that. And, and that helped me to focus. How much I can move in His power will depend on the singleness of my mind. Now, I understand that some of us have difficulty concentrating. I do. But I prayed, I found that when I pray in the Spirit more and more, He helps me. Helps me do that. Amen? Focus on Him, and He will help us in our infirmities. We will not do it well. One of the things that I found that he was training me, see, I came to America when I was 35 years old. I've been in ministry for many years, preaching, teaching. As a single person, it's lovely being a single minister of God. You just preach. You just disciple. You just do these things. When I got married, he came. I was 35, so I was a little bit older than most people. Suddenly, we had three children. We started with one. <laughs> I know how to do ministry and I know how to do my, my quiet time and prayer without one. But when Kaylin came, I would wake up early in the morning to avoid her so that I could do my quiet time. Not, uh, not that I was avoiding her because I didn't like her. It's just that I wanted to do a quiet time. But you know, Kaylin, she wakes up at 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock nowadays. And she was doing that then. So she would wake up at 5 o'clock and I would, wake, would say, okay, all right, I'm going to wake up at 4 o'clock. And then when I wake up at 4 o'clock, she would wake up at 4 o'clock. And I wake up at 3 o'clock, she would wake up at 3 o'clock and all that. And so a lot of my life was changed. Changed. And I would pray that the Lord will cause Kaylin to wake up at 6 or 7 o'clock. Actually, I just prayed for 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock will be fine. I don't mind waking up at 4.30, 4 o'clock, just so that, but just let her wake up at 6. And she never woke up at 6. Never, never. Always 3. So I could not escape. One day, 
we were at this we were on holiday or something, and I woke up at 3:50, and I ran to this chalet somewhere far away, and I started doing my quiet time. God never spoke to me. My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And he convicted me. He says, I'm not going to speak to you. You are such a goody two-shoes. Doing your quiet time. Oh, nice. Oh, you, love me. you love me so much. You're doing your quiet time. I say, yeah. Lord, bless me and favor me. Honor me even. I says, no, you go and take care of Kaylin. That's where I saw how much God loved her. And the love of God just flowed in me. And I was happy to do that. And that was when my quiet time was not as important as the will of God, the grace of God. Amen? Since then, I've spent hundreds and thousands of hours folding baby clothes. I spent all my time I was now 36, 37, 38, 40. Elisa was born at 40 years, when I was 40 years old. Elisa was born. I just do this. And I thought, Lord, my life is reduced to this, folding baby clothes. And I said, and the Lord said, yes, now you learn how to pray to me while you're doing that. And I would, after that, he gave me this ingredient. Every time I want to pray, where are the diapers? Where are the baby clothes? Bring them here. And I learned how to concentrate while I was doing that. Amen? Yeah. So, there are a lot of things that God wants to do as a household. And the only way in which you can raise up a people is raise them up as a household. That's a lot of inconvenience there. But the ingredients are more important than the conveniences. Amen? Let us pray. We welcome you. We welcome you, Lord. Bless your name. As we worship the Lord this morning, I knew that the Lord was speaking itself about surrender. Surrender to Him. Surrender when you're not certain about things. Surrender when you don't get what you ask for. And surrender when you're faced with your life. As we get ready for those of us who are going to the conference or those who are not going for the conference, I believe this is a moment in which God is doing a deep work in us that the power of God may rest upon us. This power is felt and spent experienced in weakness. Bless your name, Lord. Lord, we surrender ourselves as a church to you motley crew that we are. Do as you will, Lord, with us. Give us your destiny, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that Christ in us contains all our future. Bless your name. You are doing well.
and better us, Lord God, for the next thing that you have for us in Jesus' name. Whatever that is, God, we thank you that you unfetter us from the world's constrictions on us right now. You unfetter us from the world's promises, which are so much less than what you have. You unfetter us to be able to be even flying fish, God. You have ways to move us that we've never expected and we've never seen. So we just give you our hands and our feet right now and say, God, would you begin to help us to listen to that still small voice that tells us what to do with our freed hands and our freed feet in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.